Welcome to the Choosing to Stay podcast. We're your hosts, Hallie Roderick and Stephanie Hamby, certified relationship and recovery coaches. We specialize in supporting couples who are healing from infidelity and betrayal. We invite you to join us each week as we explore the challenges and joys of the recovery journey for couples who are choosing to stay in a relationship after betrayal. We'll encourage you with hope for healing and transformation. Connection, empathy, growth, choosing to stay. We wanted to let you know about some groups and courses that you can take advantage of. At Choose Recovery Services, we have betrayal trauma support groups for both men and women. We also have ongoing support groups, Choose Healing for our female betrayed partners. We have a couples course for healing and early recovery. It's called Healing Hearts. And this is for the couples that are looking to build empathy, connection, and intimacy in their marriage and working towards choosing to stay. And if you are a husband who is trying to navigate what rebuilding trust and creating safety looks like, join me in my upcoming Help Her Heal 12-week course. We are going to follow our friend and colleague, Carol Jurgensen Sheets model and help you develop some skills and empathy and understand how to show up for your wife as you're healing in this relationship. We would love to have you join us in any one of those um, groups or courses. So check out the show notes if you're looking for additional support. I'm so excited because we have one of my favorite friends and coworkers and associates in the betrayal trauma world, Ashley Levitt of rejoicerecovery.com. She is an associate clinical mental health counselor. And I met Ashley several years ago when we were Uh, in a different life, but still in the betrayal trauma world. And we've both come a long way since then and have done a lot of different things. And I just always love reconnecting with Ashley and I've learned a lot from, from you, Ashley. And so we're so excited that you're joining us today. Thank you so much for being here with us. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me. It's funny. You said you've learned a lot from me. I literally have slides and a hand up that I've stolen from you because you and what you do is just incredible. And I love interacting with you. And I'm so excited to meet Stephanie. She seems equally amazing. She is. We're going to have fun today. So a couple things about Ashley that I think it's important for our audience to know is that when I think about boundaries, one of the first people's names who comes to my mind is Ashley, because I've learned a ton about boundaries from Ashley and she teaches a boundary class, which actually her next round is starting in October can start to register here in a couple of weeks. So if you are interested or you need some support around boundaries, check our show notes. That would be a great resource. She also has a really cool relationship with her mom and they do some things together. Like they host retreats, they're writing books, they've done presentations, they speak at different events and they teach a class called Bystander Basics. And I don't know about anybody in our audience, but sometimes when you're going through this, the people around you have a hard time understanding what you're experiencing and understanding some of the things that happen in your life and why you do certain things. And so that class is for people in your world, like your mom or your sister or your friend, or maybe even do do you invite like church leaders to that class? Are they invited to that class? Anyone who's trying to support someone who's going through betrayal trauma and they just don't quite know what it is, as long as it's not partner, we're working specifically with the individual in betrayal traumas support network. My mom and I team teach it. So it's really cool because I bring my personal interaction with betrayal trauma and the stories that I went through and the insight of this is how it feels. This is what your loved one's going through right now. And then my mom brings her perspective of this is all I could see. This is how Ashley was behaving. This is what I noticed and I didn't know what to do with it. And so it's a really cool dynamic. Well, we're excited to have you here and we are going to talk about boundaries today. And it's a big topic and we could go down a whole bunch of different routes with this. But we want to just kind of start out, maybe we define what a boundary is, Ashley. So when you think about defining boundary, how what would you say? I really like the definition that's found in the book Boundaries by Townsend and Cloud. And they just say a boundary defines who I am and who I am not. It defines what's mine, what is not mine, what I'm in charge of, what I'm not in charge of. So it really just gives us a clearer understanding of what my responsibilities are versus the things that are not my responsibilities. And especially I think in betrayal trauma, sometimes 
figuring that out. <laughs> what am I in charge of? What am, am I in charge of his healing and his recovery? Am I in charge of managing these things? What's mine? What is not mine? And there's sometimes a lot of just like confusion, even about who you are and in the early yeah. stages of like, everything's been shattered in your world. So when you can yeah. get a hold of boundaries early on and wherever you're at, whether you're early on or down the road a little bit, boundaries can be such a great step in moving forward and defining that. Who am I? What's mine and what's everybody else's to own. And especially as a couple, if each individual begins to define what's mine, what is not mine, how, who am I in charge of? Who am I not in charge of? And what do I need to make sure I'm watching for? And then couples can come together and create their own boundaries. What is our relationship? What is not our relationship? It just brings so much power and opportunities for peace to come in because we already have this understanding of who I am and who I am not. Yeah. As you're talking about couples, it makes me think about sometimes boundaries get a bad rap. Like the people think of boundaries and they think of it like a list of rules that now, particularly in this dynamic, a lot of times the partner who has done the betraying or the acting out looks at their betrayed partner's boundaries as a way of control or a list of rules. And actually, if you don't do boundaries in a healthy way, it can actually kind of come off that way. So it's important. That's why I think this is such an important topic because defining what is more of like a control behavior as opposed to a healthy boundary and that you talked about it for both partners, because Usually it's, at least in my experience and with my clients, it's like the betrayed partner is the one that starts to try and implement boundaries and they're not always received well. If you've lived in a relationship that's been a little boundaryless or loose boundaries prior to that, it can be hard to adjust to this new healthier way of stepping out of unhealthy patterns. Definitely. And especially, I think if we've got the betrayed partner is working and trying to implement boundaries and we have the individual dealing with addiction or acting out behaviors is still trying to battle kind of the shame spiral that can come with that. When we have our betrayed partner try to implement boundaries and then the other one sees it as a rule, which is commenting on whether or not I am, I am good or I am worthy or I am okay. It tends to amplify that shame spiral. And so it can easily get to a place where we have one person trying to implement healthy boundaries in a, in a good way, but the other person's hearing it in such a hard way that it becomes an unhealthy dynamic. Yeah. I really appreciate you mentioning how it can become that unhealthy dynamic, because I see that in a way that if the partner starts to implement these new boundaries, like you said, Hallie, it's maybe for the first time in their relationship, they're starting to implement these new boundaries. The other one feels like they're laying all these rules out, regulations. It can create almost this like parent-child dynamic. And I see it come up and it almost as is, is as if the partner is taking on even more of the weight or more of the responsibility than they should or that they need to. And so I would love for you to talk a little bit about that. Ashley, in your experience, what does that look like for the partner to know what their responsibility is? And also for the one acting out, what are their responsibilities individually? Yeah, quite often when I'm working with the one who's acting out, and it, typically I end up talking with men. So I'm going to just refer to them as he, him, and in this particular case, but that doesn't mean it's exclusively that way. So if I'm working with a man in this situation, what I regularly hear is, it doesn't seem like anything I do is good enough. I'm never going to be good enough for her. She always wants more. She always wants more. And what I hear when I hear that is instead of creating my own understanding of who I am, which is the essence of boundaries, figuring out who I am and choosing to live according to who I am, instead of taking on that responsibility, I'm letting her dictate who I am, right? So her boundaries are telling me what to do and I'm feeling controlled by that. And I'm never going to be able to live up to somebody else's idea of who I am because it's not actually me. So for the partner dealing with the acting out behaviors, I just think it's so crucial that they figure out who they are, that they have to dig deep. What kind of person am I? How am I going to show up in this world? What kind of husband, what kind of spouse do I want to be? What are my aspirations and what are the steps to become that? And my boundaries are going to be about my behaviors to be the person that I want to be 
And in those times when I'm acting outside of my value system, how am I going to respond? What am I going to do to get myself back onto the track that I want to be, to be the person that I want to be? So that's how I think it looks like for the individuals dealing with those behaviors. And it's almost identical for the one with the trail trauma. It's so crucial to figure out who am I? What's my purpose? Who do I want to behave like? What are the the goals and the aspirations and my own values and my own needs? Because it's so easy to get pulled off center into, oh, he's behaving this way. And it's because I didn't see it fast enough to warn him that the danger was coming. Or it's because I got negligent unlocking the computer, or it's because I happened to take a trip out of town. And so I have to make sure I'm changing all of about me in order to make sure that he's not okay so that our marriage can be okay. And that kind of intertwining really leads to the the turmoil of, of boundaries and rules. And I'm trying to demand things of the other person versus coming back to, wait, what are my values? What am I in charge of? Can I actually ever control anyone else's behaviors, anyone else's feelings, anyone else's thoughts? And so if I can't, then I've got to focus on my own. And my boundaries are going to be about managing those things for me. That's so good. I think it's a hard concept. And with the partners that I work with, I think they have a really great understanding that they can't control the other person. They can't control their spouse, but it's a really hard concept to grasp and to implement. You mentioned that you have the four types of boundaries. Do you think that's relevant for how we take responsibility and, and go into that? Absolutely. When I was first studying boundaries, I noticed that for me, what made them so confusing or kind of difficult to grasp was that it seemed like they were navigating all of these different areas, but calling it the same thing. So I've broken the different areas into four different types and given them different names because it helps my brain understand what I'm talking about. My favorite metaphor to teach types of boundaries is put yourself in a situation that you're taking like an elementary age child to the park. And you're going to go to a park. It's maybe a park that you've never been to before. And you arrive at the park and you just have your basic general rules. You're not going to talk to strangers. You're not going to walk away with a stranger and go somewhere with them, right? These rules are going to be applicable in any scenario. They're just the guidelines that we live by in general. Those are what I call protection boundaries. Just the rules that we follow in general for our general protection. (laughs) There might be the occasional times where it changes like, If your child is going to go to a babysitter's house, well, now they are going home with a stranger. So that dynamic is going to be a little bit different. But just in general, our basic guidelines for protection, we don't talk to strangers. You're not going to go anywhere with a stranger. So that's our rule that applies to any park. But when we show up at the park, we kind of survey the area. And maybe it's one of those parks that has like baseball fields back in one corner. It's got a little tree filled area in another corner. There's a road bordering it. And then there's the playground area. So I'm going to talk to my elementary age kid and I'm going to say, hey, don't go over there by those ball fields. That's too far. These trees, I won't be able to see you in and out of those. And I definitely don't want you by the road. So see this border of the playground, stay within this border. Those are going to be what I call safety boundaries, where they are scenario specific things that each playground is going to be different. So I'm not going to have the same boundaries in each playground, but in this playground, this is what our safety boundaries need to be. This is where we're going to stay within. The third kind is prevention boundaries. And this is the, say we went to a playground and my child decided she thought she could fly. And so she climbed on top of the monkey bars and jumped off and broke her arm. So now we arrive and we go, remember last time when you thought you could fly? Let's just remember we don't jump off of things that are higher than this height or without coming and getting mom to help. That's our prevention boundary. It has happened before, it caused a problem before, and so we need to address this specific scenario to help make sure it doesn't happen again. And then the last kind of boundary, it's my favorite. So if if you're at this playground, you've got the kids playing, and now what are you gonna do? Are you gonna go back to the car and take a nap? Are you gonna go over to the ball fields and watch the ball game that's happening there? Are you going to sit on the bench and actively watch your children? Are you going to sit on the bench and actively be on your phone? How are you going to behave in this scenario? And it's really going to depend on what your value is. So if you're there to watch the other child at the ball field, and that's the point, and you've set up these other guidelines, then 
your value this time might be, I'll be over at the ball fields. Make sure you come talk to me before you go anywhere else. Remember, we're not going to leave with strangers. If your value is, I want to keep this specific child safe in this specific playground, then I'm going to be sitting on the bench actively watching that child. So these are called inclusion boundaries. It's what am I going to do and how am I going to live within my value system and how am I going to ensure that I behave in a way that I'm okay with? Those are our four types, protection, safety, prevention, and inclusion. I love that. Your playground analogy makes a lot of sense to me. I feel like it helps clarify the different types that are kind of just elusive when we just use the word boundary. Would you say that these four types apply to both partners when we're talking about relational repair? Absolutely. Yes. I try to change it from playground to like a sport metaphor. I did that once. It didn't work as well. But <laughs> but when I'm talking with the men, I'll say the same thing because absolutely they need to be aware of what rules do I follow in general? What are the scenario specific guidelines that I'm going to change? When my wife's out of town, that's going to be a different set of rules than when she's right here and we're on vacation together. The prevention boundaries, knowing where have I been before that led to some pain and what am I going to do now? And the inclusion boundaries is where all the power is of just who am I? How am I going to choose to behave? What am I going to do to live within my values? So if you do the work of boundaries, what does the work look like in this? Like, how do we do the work of identifying who we are? and working towards defining what our boundaries are and actually implementing them. What is the work in this? I think sometimes because we're in such confusion or we're in such pain that we hear, oh, I need a boundary and then just jump into it, which isn't wrong. We're going to learn as we do that. But where we're going to find the resilience to keep boundaries is when that boundary is based on a personal need or value or right. So the work that I recommend doing, or in my boundaries class, the first three or four lessons are all just about getting to know who you are. So reminding yourself, who am I? And sometimes that sounds so simple for anyone who's never been in the fog of betrayal trauma or the fog of addiction. Of course, you know who you are. Like it just, it just sounds easy, but it can be really hard. So even like working with a coach or a therapist to identify personal values, to identify personal needs, to really create an understanding of who you are and what it is that you need. I talk about what kind of flower are you? Because we give we give grace and love to flowers. So we have like, there's a cactus and it has these beautiful blossoms and it grows in the desert just naturally. And it doesn't need a ton of water. It needs lots of sun. It's a little bit prickly, but it's okay. It's still gorgeous, right? And then we have roses and roses have to have just the right amount of sun and just the right amount of water. And they're also going to bloom and be gorgeous. And they're also a little bit prickly, but they require significantly more maintenance than this cactus that can just be in the desert. Yet both of them are beautiful. If I were to ask you which one is more important to the world, you can't find one. But for some reason, when we're talking about my own needs, like if I say I have a need for attention or a need for validation, immediately... (laughs) Anyone who kind of resonates that I do like attention is going to go, I'm not supposed to like attention though. So I better not. And so it starts with just what kind of, what kind of flower am I? What kind of things do I need that I can accept without judgment is our first step, figuring out who am I and what kind of beautiful person do I bloom to be when I've got the things that I need. Yeah. I think of the greenhouse analogy. Like if you are a living organism, which we are in a greenhouse, the temperature's just right. The humidity's just right. The moisture's just right. The soil's been prepped and, and, and nourished in just the right way. And what do I need in my environment to be able to thrive as if I had a greenhouse around me? So I think of it that way. Yeah. We kind of romanticize this idea of, I don't need anything. I'll be just fine. I can take care of me. And when we do that, I think we do ourselves a disservice Mm -hmm. because instead of understanding who we are, what kind of greenhouse scenario I need to have, we're just throwing ourselves to whatever the environment is and hoping for the best. I think that sometimes that's something we learn as if we've watched that modeled in our our family of origin, if our parents had kind of an unhealthy dynamic or didn't really know or understand boundaries. And that was the way we raised, we were raised, or we 
have certain behaviors that we picked up that were like survival or, you know, tolerating behaviors to keep us safe, then really stepping into a new space of living a boundary life is requiring me to step out of some unhealthy dynamics that I have to look at and go, okay, this actually doesn't serve me well. And sometimes I have felt like that's my duty is to like be boundaryless and make sure that I am kind of taking care of everybody else. And so kind of rewiring my own brain to think differently that actually am not responsible for, for everybody else's everything, but I am responsible for what's right here within my control and kind of changing our own thought patterns around that. That can be difficult. I heard you use the word right, Ashley. Sometimes when I'm working with clients, I have them start with a personal bill of rights statement because if you've had some of those unhealthy behaviors in your path where you maybe have some people pleasing that's gone on, you have to first believe that you actually have a right to hold a boundary. And so sometimes I have them start with that, with like just defining, actually, I have a right to say no when I'm uncomfortable. I have a right to not be responsible for other people's behaviors and thoughts and actions and feelings and just like letting that sink in for a little while. And I think that sometimes has been helpful for a lot of my clients when I'm faced with something that's uncomfortable. If I've been thinking about that, all of a sudden I'm able to go, you know what? That's uncomfortable. Nope. I'm actually not going to do that. I'm uncomfortable with that. I love how you touched on that. I agree with you. Some of our upbringings have taught us those things like we don't have rights or I shouldn't have needs or my needs are too strong or we could create this own like vision if we have been denied our rights. So if we haven't had our needs met in the past, specifically in the significant relationship, then we will start to believe for ourselves that those needs do not need to be met. So I'm glad that you guys touched on that. I have a question for you. Ashley, about like, what do the initial steps? So we touched on the four um, types. What do the initial steps of like exploring this and then maybe even like taking note of this is a boundary that I need? What are the, what does that look like for each individual? And then also as the coupleship, what does that look like in like a practical way? my brain works in a very practical way. So step one, right? I think step one, we've got to identify our needs, our values and our rights. And yes, personal bill of rights statements, I think are, are incredible to help expand this. So here's my value. Here's my need. Here's my right. We've got to recognize when those aren't being met. And for me, that comes down to emotional awareness. I don't believe there's good or bad emotions. I think there are easy to experience emotions and difficult to experience emotions, but all of them are our friends. They're all there for an important reason and they're all bringing us a message. So I divide my feelings wheel into emotions that are telling me, hey, include more of this in your life. I like this. And emotions that are telling me, hey, some of your needs, values, or rights are not being met. So if you're finding yourself on that half of the wheel, the difficult to experience ones, it's probably your body, your soul, your intuition, whatever saying, we need to take a look at what's happening here. There's probably something happening that's not okay. And that's going to inform what my boundary is. So I'm going to take that information, check out and go, okay, or do I have a need or a value or a right that's not being honored? And honestly, usually it's me that's not honoring it. Sometimes it's other people. Occasionally we've got someone coming in, but when we really start doing boundary work, it turns out, oh, I didn't say no when I was uncomfortable. So yeah, that person was crossing my comfort level, but I didn't say no. So what am I going to do here? And then I'm going to evaluate if this is, so step one, need value rights. Where are we at? So that I can identify what kind of boundary needs to happen here. Step two is figuring out, is this a behavior I'm going to change on my own? Or am I going to make a request of someone else? That I'm uncomfortable when you continue doing this after I've said no. So I'm going to request this person not do this anymore. Step three, if there's no outside help. So if I've made this request and the person has said, I'm not going to do that because they have a right to also not do that. What am I going to do? How am I going to respond if my request isn't being held up? Right. And then we have to have a section of let's acknowledge realities. So this boundary might be difficult because, because it might 
they might say that their feelings are hurt because I might lose courage because this is a whole new dynamic and it's scary to try something new. So step four, why is it going to be difficult? Step five, how am I going to find strength through that difficulty? And then the last acknowledging our reality is what are going to be the consequences? Not the, what will I do if they don't, but what are the actual consequences? What's going to be the fallout? What's going to happen when I act on this boundary? And then I like just a personal mantra or a mission statement about why it's still important to follow through. So I'm going to make sure to remember to prioritize this because it's important for my safety. I value this thing, whatever. Those are my steps that I like to follow when I'm teaching boundary creation. Let's talk through a couple scenarios. Yeah. So let's talk about one for a betrayed partner. If she is in an activated state and the person that has the sexual misbehaviors is going to defense mode or blame shifting or not responding in a healthy way. That seems to be something common when people are trying to early on work through these scenarios. So what, what would a betrayed partner do in that situation? So they will hopefully have already worked through this to come up with how they'll respond, but this is what it would look like to work through it. We're going to look at if it's a value, a need, or a right. And I think in this scenario where they've been triggered and they're not getting healthy responses from their spouse, it could be any of them because I value peace, because I need clarity of mind, because I have a right to safety. I will ask husband to please respond with empathy, or it could even be a statement. Please respond with, I can see this is hard. Please respond with giving me five minutes of timeout to recenter. However, I want them to respond. What do you guys see is helpful for your clients when they're in this situation to set up a boundary for this? I think the clarification of what their need is, I love that first part of that because I have this need or right or value is important to know that. And then I think with like the the request that is being made, I think it could be a lot of different things. I would request that you please create a safe environment for me to be able to express what's going on. I would request that you go get some support from somebody to help you understand what's going on with me or, you know, to help you understand how to respond because I don't want to be responsible for teaching them how to have empathy. And so maybe even a request of like, please do some research on what I'm experiencing or go get some support around what I'm experiencing. So you can um, practice developing some empathy. What are your thoughts? I wanted to just add in there, Hallie, that that's exactly where my brain went with the action to be taken as a partner. It feels like we're already thinking like 12 steps ahead. So if I say this is the action that needs to be taken, I know that they do not have education around that or have an understanding of what that means or how to implement it. So if I say this is what action that I need to feel safe, then am I going to have to do all the education, which would be me taking back control of the situation. So I love that. I love the idea of saying in the action, adding in the piece of like, it's not for me to teach you (laughs) in a kind of way, obviously, but I love that. Because I have a right to safety. I will ask husband to please take a minute and go do some research on what empathy looks like and what betrayal trauma triggers are without Mm -hmm. speaking to me about it. When I have the conversation setting up this boundary, that's what I'm going to communicate. If he refuses, so if his help is not available, refuses is the wrong word. If he is refusing would be an option. If he's overwhelmed himself, also triggered himself, if he's unable to follow through on said request of taking a second to go learn, what will I do anyway? Because I still have this right to safety. That's still something that I'm going to need to fulfill. And so I'm going to make this request because this request would be awfully helpful. But if that's not going to work, what am I going to do anyway? How will I respond? What do you guys tell your clients to do if their spouse isn't responding in a supportive way? I think then they have to look at what their options are. I can remove myself from the situation and create my own safety. I can find a supportive person that isn't my spouse that can respond with empathy that whether that be an understanding friend or coach or therapist or someone in my support group, I can find that empathy and validation that I need somewhere else. 
I can also do the work to regulate myself so that I can get to that place of fulfilling that need and right to have safety. If no outside help is available, if this person is going to do this, I will regulate myself and find someone who can provide me with the empathy that I need and the safety that I need. This might be difficult because why will it be difficult to honor these two things? Why would it be difficult to go take that action even without the support of my spouse? It might be difficult because I might feel like he should be showing up for me. I might feel like it's his job to show up for me in this way. It might be difficult because there's a lot of sadness and grief that my spouse isn't able to show up for me in that way. It might be difficult because this is new for me and I've been fawning in the past and I would give in and then I end up apologizing. Like it might be difficult because he might be angry if I go talk to somebody else or he might be upset if I remove myself from the conversation. There are a lot of options, right? I went straight to the he might be angry if I'm talking to someone or upset that I haven't stayed in the conversation. All of these options are possible, which is why we do our own individual boundary work. And it can feel so vague when we talk about it because there's just so many different things. Okay, so it might be difficult because he's going to be angry or his feelings might be hurt if I disengage from the conversation. But I will find strength to do this boundary by what am I going to do to remind myself? I really like to take some personal identity statements here. I'll find strength to do this by remembering that I am valued, remembering that I am of worth, remembering that I deserve as much space and attention as he does, remembering that... I have people who can support me through it. What am I going to say to myself? What am I going to do to call back in that courage friend, my feeling friend courage to help me know that it's okay for me to follow through on this? That was exactly where my thoughts went first is like, I'm going to go back to that identity work that we did at the beginning and just tap into that, who I am at my core. And I'm going to try to respond to this from that part of me, that this is who I am. And I'm also going to tap into like my bill of rights work that I use a lot. I have a right to not be responsible for his reaction or his behavior. And it's okay if he doesn't agree with me, or it's okay if he gets upset because I'm holding a boundary. That's not mine to own. That's his to work through. And then we look at the real fallout consequences. So I'm taking space. Hopefully he's going to be helpful and supportive. We'll address what that might look like. But if it's this hard one where I'm going to have to disengage from this conversation, his feelings might get hurt. The actual hard consequences of this boundary might include our relationship moving into a winter season, a time where we aren't as connected. It might include him being angry with me for a little bit and me needing to remind myself over and over that I don't have to manage his anger. I just need to manage me. The hard consequences might include Others becoming aware of the situation because now I've reached out to someone and that can be kind of scary. And then the beneficial consequences of this boundary also include the two of us developing greater empathy because he's had the chance to have that. Me standing up for myself and remembering what my value is and acting on that and honoring my needs and all of the power that can come with honoring what those are. Any other thoughts on hard consequences or beneficial consequences? I think the beneficial consequences is it builds that trust in myself. It's like a layer of brick of rebuilding that trust that sometimes we lose in in betrayal is like, you know what? I can trust myself to honor what I need and what's coming up for me and to tap into that identity and, and being authentic in that. So I think that's one of the positive consequences of, of, I feel authentic and I'm honoring what I need and I'm building trust with myself. Those ones are huge. Yes. I would say the beneficial consequences, everything you said, Hallie, those were the things that I was thinking too. And then the piece of empowerment, like there is oftentimes in partner betrayal, it feels as if we have no voice to use or to speak or to say anything. So just the simple fact that we're able to put words and a voice to something that is going to empower us in growth, that would be a really huge consequence of this boundary. 
And then the other thing is along with the empowerment, it takes extreme vulnerability to share with you that I have this right. And this is how I expect to be treated. That takes so much vulnerability. So to me, I would say a beneficial consequence would be like, I honored my self and I spoke my truth. That kind of vulnerability. I believe that's what real, actual, true love looks like is I'm going to show you who I really am. It's super vulnerable and it's super hard. But even when that includes, I'm not okay with what you're doing. I'm showing you who I am. Even if that includes, I'm uncomfortable with this scenario. I'm showing you who I am. And when we have that kind of vulnerability and our partner who is also choosing to stay and choosing to do the work holds it and honors it, it just grows the love. It just grows the trust for myself, the trust for others. It, it just has such incredible benefits when we really do call in the courage to honor our boundary and show that vulnerable piece of who we are. I love that you pointed that out because rather than that kind of negative connotation that boundaries get, boundaries actually create connection rather than divide us. And so that is what you just described as like a perfect description of how boundaries set up an environment where we can connect and have a deeper, more intimate relationship. Yeah. They get this wrap of it's a wall and we're divided and we're separated, but really it's an opportunity to see who I truly am. And if you'll honor that and respect that and allow me to show that vulnerability in a safe way, then our relationship has a chance to grow and become something deeper and more real compared to if I were pretending that I was okay with it. We're never going to have that deep connection because I'm not actually showing you who I am. And so boundary work creates such good work in couples. Which kind of makes me think back to the, what's the hard consequences of these boundaries? If we don't do that, then we're stuck in that old pattern of us, maybe even resentment building because Mm -hmm. we didn't honor who we were and our values. And, and maybe there's a hard consequences. There's some emotional disconnection that needs to happen for a time. You know, there are some hard consequences sometimes of holding boundaries. And I think even though they're hard, it doesn't mean they're not good in the long run. Yeah. And even when it results in some kind of emotional disconnection or physically disconnecting, finding a little bit of space, the a winter period on the earth is beneficial there's good things that happen during winter a down period in your week is beneficial you have to have time where you're just recuperating and the same is for relationship that even if the hard consequence results in a little bit more separation of each individual that space because it's been real and vulnerable to who you are is going to provide good soil for growth in the spring right that individual time is so important I think the hardest thing with anything in life is remembering our battle is between will we remember or will we forget? So the last step is, okay, I've decided I want this boundary. This is how I'm planning. This is going to be the hard part. And this is what's going to be helpful for me. How am I going to remember it? So am I going to have outside help sending me text messages right before this hard conversation? Am I going to have quotes on my mirror that remind me of my value? Am I going to have an alarm that goes off on my phone that just asks me how I'm doing today? What am I going to do to make sure that I really prioritize remembering this boundary Mm -hmm. and keeping that, that momentum going? Because you go to boundaries or you're in a group or you're in session with your therapist or your coach and you're like, yes, this feels good. I believe it. I agree with it. And then you get home and your brain goes back to all of the chemicals associated with all of the trauma that happened at home. And it doesn't think clearly anymore. It's not there. And so having a reminder system in place so that we make our decisions, we make our choices based on what I've already decided when I was clear headed and working. And I remember to do that, I think is the last crucial step for successfully implementing a boundary. I often tell my clients too, and even do this myself is like, especially if I know there's a hard conversation, I play it out in my mind. Sometimes I write it out. I'll read it through. I will maybe even bring some notes with me to the conversation. I will practice it because in a sense, it's a skill that you can learn. And it's a new pattern of behavior, almost like a new language that you're having to learn a new 
language of healthy communication and healthy boundaries. And if you were learning a new language like Spanish or French, you would be practicing and you would be rehearsing and you would be doing it over and over again. And you wouldn't be good at it right at the beginning. And you would learn as you fail at your boundaries. And instead of beating yourself up for failing at holding that boundary, then you just learn from what you did there. And then you try again the next time. And so I think there needs to be a lot of grace as we're starting to learn how to be boundaried and just look at it as like, okay, that part went well and I need to do a little better here. Yeah. I'm going to try it this way next time. Oh, I love that. I've decided I don't like the word fail because not doing it correctly is part of the process of learning, right? That's, that's if I'm going to go ride a bike, if I'm teaching my daughter how to ride a bike, the assumption is that she's going to fall. She's not going to stay upright and make all the turns and know how to start and know how to, that's not going to happen. She's going to fall. So when she falls, did she fail or did she just check off the next part of, of the learning? Right. So, so when you try to do a boundary and it doesn't work out or you stumble through it or, or you don't know how to use the words and that's, that's part of it. It's not failing. It's leveling up or it's checking that box. It's, oh, well, did that one wrong. Wendy Ulrich. In a meeting I was at last year, she said, anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. Mm. And I love that so much because if it's only worth doing when it's good, then you don't ever get this time of trial and error and grace and growth. We have to start by doing it poorly before we're going to be able to do it well. Yeah. I think that sometimes can be a roadblock for partners is like, well, I know I'm not going to be able to do this. This is going to be hard. So maybe you start with a baby step of like, okay, I'm going to start with like at least saying my truth. And if I don't have the courage to actually follow through with it this time, then I'm going to at least practice using my voice and saying what I want. And then the next time I'm going to take it the, the next step further. So boundaries yeah. are kind of, kind of a challenge, but definitely worth doing the work for sure. Yeah. All right. So we've talked about what individual boundaries look like and that process that we just walked through can apply for both partners, but let's talk about this idea of like co-creating and boundaries within a relationship. And what does that look like? Cause we've been talking about individual boundaries and then how do boundaries benefit the partnership as a couple? How do they not? It just, it creates such unity. So we're going to start as a couple by identifying what are our couple goals? What are our values? What are our needs as a couple? We're going to have two individuals who have already figured out their needs. We're working on individual boundaries first. And so one knows I need attention and the other knows that I need quiet. Well, those, those two things both get to be honored. We're going to honor both of those. So then our couple boundary is going to be things like, because one of us needs attention and the other of us needs quiet, we will schedule out time that feels fair, or we will identify identify those flags that let us know this person needs a little bit more attention or this person needs a little bit more quiet. And we're going to honor those and treat them as, as beautiful individual needs that both get to be met. And so then you kind of go through that and go, okay, as a couple, we value honoring both of these. So on Sunday through Tuesday, we're going to do this. And you just kind of create your vision of how it's going to work for both of those. And then you follow the same steps. What kind of help are we going to need? Are we going to need to request from friends and family to please not invite us to things on Sunday? Or are we just going to start saying no to things on whatever day of the week we decide is our quiet time? And we're just going to start saying no to that. And the expectation is just, this is our time where we are quiet and we're in. And so the spouse that needs quiet is not going to be invited not out of meanness, but out of honoring that this is where they're at. So that's what I'm going to request. If people continue to cross that, how are we going to honor it anyway? I'll just say no, or I won't be offended if my spouse who needs lots of attention is going to go out with her friends on those nights that I need the quiet because she's also getting her needs met that night. And it's important and we value both of these. It might be difficult because it's so hard to have two competing values both get to be honored. So it's going to take some psychological intimacy. It's going to take some problem solving and bringing both of our, our strengths together in a way that supports all of this. And so here's why it might be difficult, but we're going to find strength by remembering that both of us are important. Both of us are trying our best. Both of us are acknowledging our areas of strengths. Hard consequences might be there more. There's more times where we're spending time apart but the beneficial are when we are together 
it's good for both of us instead of just the one or the other. And then how are we going to prioritize this? Do we have a calendar where we've mapped things out? Do we have an app that tells us? Do we have a specific way to check in and say, hey, are you needing quiet today? Hey, are you needing attention today? How do we meet these? So you're going to walk through the exact same steps, just acknowledging the the different needs and values of the individual and creating a spouse need or value, a coupleship need or values that we're going to honor and work through. I keep thinking too of the, uh, your four types of boundaries and how it might be really valuable to walk through and say, okay, what kind of protective boundaries do we need for our relationship? What kind of safety boundaries, prevention boundaries, and the inclusion boundaries do we need for a healthy coupleship and define those in a sense, knowing that sometimes, you know, different situations come up that we haven't anticipated, but having like a kind of a generalized definition of what those different types of boundaries are that we need for a healthy relationship. Can you imagine kind of restarting? We've had disclosure. Everything has shattered. My assumption is that now both partners are choosing to stay, not just one. If you're in a situation where the only one choosing to stay, this is going to look different. You won't be able to do the partner work. But if both partners are choosing to stay, choosing to dig in, how incredible is this foundation that you now build? What are our safety boundaries? What are just the guidelines that we always follow? Neither of us will be alone with with a member of the opposite sex. Like that's a pretty common guideline, right? That that might follow in these types of relationships. Or we always turn off our electronics by 10. Or just just basic foundational guidelines for our safeties or our protection. And then we go into our safety ones of, okay, scenario specifically, what if you have a work trip? And so now how are you going to behave there? How am I going to behave? How are we going to interact? What kind of contact do we expect to have when one or the other is out of town? What does it look like? And then previously we've been hurt here. So how are we going to prevent this hurt from happening again? And not with any kind of animosity or attack, just with couple awareness of, yep, this has been a problem before. So Mm -hmm. let's address that problem together and come up with a plan for that. And then inclusions. I know that I need this. So what am I going to include? You know that you need that. So what are you going to include? But also our relationship needs to have courting. Our relationship needs to have openness. Our relationship needs to have opportunities for connection on every different level. How are we going to make sure that we include those things into our relationship so that it can continue to blossom and continue to grow and continue to heal? And can you imagine starting a relationship, starting over after something has shattered with, here are the clear expectations for how we will behave in this relationship. And that kind of foundation to have as you're navigating, that can bring a lot of power. Mm-hmm. I think about some of my couples who are in that this kind of post-traumatic growth phase of the healing, and it is a beautiful thing. It is, I think that's part of why I stay in this work is because it's so rewarding to watch both individuals and the couple to like to heal and grow and to create something different and to step into a different type of relationship and a different type of living that is more healthy and brings, you know, more peace and joy. So yeah, as you're describing that, I'm picturing some of my couples in real life that are like, that's what they're doing. And that is a beautiful thing. Yeah, it really is. I think I want to honor for a second, all of those who are the only one in their relationship choosing to work and choosing to do the recovery and the the sadness, the grieving that might be right here in this space of, yeah, it would be great to have that kind of solid foundation, that unity that's going to come with shared goals and shared boundaries. Um, But I also want to say that living within your own boundaries can still bring peace. It can still bring wholeness. It can still bring joy. It can still bring all of those emotions that come when we're living within boundaries and your life will look different, but it won't be any less than it can still be whole and important. If you're choosing to stay with a partner who is not digging into recovery work. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad you brought that up. Thank you for pointing that out. Cause we do, we have, I mean, some people are maybe even in still the situation of, I don't know if I'm going to stay. And I think that if that's where you're at, it's even more important to do this work of the identity and the boundaries and the rights so that you can decide from a place of clarity and confidence and assurance from a place of authenticity that 
this is who I am and I'm making an empowered choice to stay, even though he or she isn't doing the work, or this is who I am. And I'm actually not okay to tolerate this behavior. And And I'm making the empowered choice to leave Yeah, that either one can be a place of strength and empowerment. And boundaries are so key. I think for that, like I, if I have a partner who's trying to decide, I'm always like, let's do some individual work first. Let's get some boundary work. Let's do this identity work and make that decision from a different place than fear or pain or desperation. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Because those emotions are really coming in to let us know that something is wrong. And we address that with boundaries. And then we can hear and go, okay, I've addressed it with boundaries. Something is wrong. Here's how I've handled it. Am I okay to live like this? And it becomes less of that desperation trying to trying to find something to just stop the bleeding and more of a, all right, bleeding has stopped. It's not desperate. Here's where I'm at. Which path do I want to be on? Yeah. This has been such a great conversation, Ashley. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and for being here with us. If you are looking for support and you need some of this guidance with boundaries, please check our show notes. Do you want to talk a little bit about your boundary class, Ashley? Sure. I do the 10-week boundary course. We start with just what is a boundary. We literally have a lesson called what kind of flower are you and figuring out who we are. We work through our needs. I've got some activities that take us through needs and values and the Bill of Rights. And then we talk through the barriers of setting up boundaries. We talk through relationship dynamics, what to watch for how to know if it's a clumsy dynamic or an abusive dynamic and how to respond to those things. Yeah. So it's a good time. It's a hard time. We dig in, but I really like this class because I also have one hour of office hours before we do the lesson where you can drop in and get individual help on your specific scenario. And I've, I've found the response that I've gotten from people who have taken the classes that that's their favorite part because easy to hear, hard to implement And so getting that specific instruction for what I'm doing is helpful. And then I offer just boundary tutoring. So just quick little sessions where we talk through your things. Perfect. Yeah. Now y'all see why when I hear boundaries, I think of Ashley because she's kind of a wizard at it. So check the show notes. If you want to get some support, you can also find Ashley at rejoicerecovery.org. And thank you, Ashley, for being with us. I've loved this conversation. So have I. I'm always giddy when I get to talk about boundaries. So thanks for inviting me on, talking about my favorite thing. I've really appreciated the experience. Thanks for listening to today's episode of our podcast. I wanted to let you know about one more resource and invite you to join me on my monthly free Choosing to Stay After Infidelity and Betrayal question and answer webinar. We talk about different healing principles, topics and tools, and then I leave it open for some Q&A. So if you have questions that you would like to have answered, it's on the second Sunday of every month and you can find information to register for it in the show links. So I hope to see you at the next webinar. If you have enjoyed this show, we invite you to subscribe, share, and leave us a review. Connection, empathy, and growth. Choosing to stay.